Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Only a couple times, maybe two other times in the history of this show, um, has a conversation been so interesting. Not that the other people here haven't been interesting, but there's been so much to talk about that by the time we were done with our first episode, we had to say, wait, there's more to talk about. Let's go on to a second episode. But this indeed did happen with the guest who is on today, um, his name is Rabbi Harry Rosenberg. I had him on a couple weeks ago. Um, he is the co-founder of Lost Tribes Beverage and Theological Research Institute, co-founder of iTribe, the social network mapping out the Lost Tribes of Israel. He is also um, a, a mentor and um, a study partner to um, the professional basketball player Amari Studemeyer. Um, and we spoke last time about their relationship, how they met how he, um, I think, sort of helped Amari find his way uh, in Orthodox Judaism. Um, but then there was this really interesting conversation about um, the lost tribes of Israel, which became, I think, um, I don't want to say an obsession, an interest, a strong interest, a passion. There we go. Passion is a nice, a nice way to say it. It's supposed to obsession, passion. Um, and I think that that's how uh, Rabbi Harry and Amari first connected sort of over the lost tribes. Um, idea, but there's so much more to talk about on this um, that we decided to bring Rabbi Harry back again. So thank you for uh, joining us for a second episode. Uh, no problem. It's a real honor. There's a lot of material here, and we'll try to squeeze it all in. Okay, so where we sort of left off last time, I'm trying to remember what we said on the air versus off the air. So you said there were some um, lost tribes in Africa. I guess where where do you, what are the main areas we want to cover? You want to talk just about Africa, or are there other parts of the world that are uh, interesting to note as well? Right. So we'll keep it to, like, let's say, two main areas, and then both those main areas are going to cross over and spill into America towards the end. So the two areas that we're going to look into and speak about today is definitely Africa, as well as the Silk Road. So basically from Israel to Japan, we're going to kind of take a few stops on that road throughout this conversation. Okay, take it away. Okay, there we go. So first, let's just rewind a little, a little history over here. Um, <clears throat> we had Israel was United Nation. It was 12 tribes. This is during the time of the, the first temple, the Temple of King Solomon. And after the death of Solomon, the, the following kings had issues with uh, keeping the northern 10 tribes loyal due to high taxes. And there ended up being a separation amongst the people of Israel, which we're still dealing with the repercussions today of this separation. So you had the northern kingdom of Israel, which was called in Hebrew Malchut Yisrael, the northern kingdom. And you had the southern kingdom called Judea, or Malchut Yehuda, the kingdom of Judea. And this was still during the time of the first temple. So for all, all intents and uh, purposes, when we refer to ourselves as Jews, we're referring to ourselves as Judeans of this Judean kingdom. So from anyone you know today who's Jewish, mainly, except for one, one or two communities we'll get to, we come from the southern kingdom. So after they split, there was a, basically a peaceful or so not so peaceful civil war. We split. The northern ten tribes set up their own temples in the north. And eventually, around the year 722 before the Common Era, the Assyrians came in, the Assyrian army, and they exiled the northern ten tribes. Now, from our perspective, we think the word, like, exile, like, what does that mean? Like, we're, it's a foreign concept to us. You go, you conquer a nation, you kind of kill them or wipe them out. What is this term exile? Is that something from God or something from a people? But if you look at the Assyrians, that was actually part of their strategies. 
soldiers and feeding them in depth and fighting battles. You also can, yeah, you hear me? Oh yeah, I lost you for a second. That, that was part of the strategy of the Assyrians. Can you repeat that, please? Sure, yes. They used to exile nations. It was more cost-effective and economic. Instead of going to war and fighting and losing men, you would just intimidate people to leave where they were. And then you use those individuals as strategic barriers somewhere in the periphery of your kingdom. So they would place the Israelites towards the Far East, which would act as a natural barrier for the invading Mongols, and it would allow the Assyrians to casually, without much loss, to conquer the land of northern Israel. So when we use the word lost tribes of Israel, where we're saying really is from the Judeans' perspective, these 10 lost tribes disappeared. Uh, mm -hmm. These 10 tribes of the north disappeared. So that's really what the word lost tribes refers to. And mm -hmm. it starts at the year 720 before the Common Era. Okay. Does that make sense still now? Makes sense. You know, I can tell you a little funny, um, little funny thing in the whole Lost Tribes thing. We didn't know very much uh, back in the day before my family uh, became observant. Um, so, like, we would drive to, you know, synagogue on Saturday and look at the Orthodox Jews walking and be like, ah, rest. Shabbat's about rest. Why are you putting out all the effort walking? We're the ones that are resting. We also, because the last name is Joseph's, um, we were convinced that we were part of the tribe of Joseph until we discovered that that is completely false. So we had some silly ideas. That was one of them along the ways about lost tribes. So now, after my brief interlude, please continue. So what happened after, where did these, where did these 10 tribes go to? Right, so now let's like fast forward thousands of years later, and now that we have Google and history books and, and all this data, we could start to uh, you know, see a picture that was painted. So if you look right from the far east of Israel, there is a nation today, basically exactly where the Assyrians had exiled the Israelites to, and this nation claims to be the children of Israel. Um, this is in Afghanistan, and this is the, what we refer to as the Pashtun people. Um, the, another word for Pashtun is Bani Israel, or the children of Israel. And there's mm. 25 million of them in, in Afghanistan today who self-identify, who refer to themselves as Bani Israel, the children of Israel. Um, they, they, are, they are now Muslim. They, they've converted to Islam. But, you know, from, from my perspective, when I found out about this, the first thing I did was started reading books, and I'm reading about these clan names in Afghanistan. Now, the most popular clans in Afghanistan today are the Rubaini, the Gadi, the Ashuri, the Yosefzai, the Shinwari, and these are like, wow, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So I, I couldn't even believe it. So I went on Facebook. You know, I was in Yeshiva at the time, so I didn't have my Facebook account open because I was just learning Torah. Then I'm like, wait a minute. I got to reopen my Facebook account just to talk to these guys. Hmm. So I opened up my Facebook account, and I started typing in clan names in Afghanistan, and these, you know, young millennials are popping up. And so I start messaging them like, hey, is it true? Are you from the Lost Tribes of Israel? And 100% of the people I was asking were responding with very strange, cryptic answers. Like, yes, my great-grandfather told me this is true. We have uh, relics hidden in our house. And everyone had this, like, little story, and I couldn't believe it. Mm. And so I started to compile a list of all the customs and traditions that I saw were just, like, clear as day Israelite. You know, this includes Leverite marriage, which in Hebrew is Yibam and Khalifa, which mm. means if, uh, if a man dies and, and they don't have children, the woman has to marry his brother. Uh, which is something which is mosaic law, which you find amongst this tribe. They're doing eighth-day circumcision. They, ha Even though they're Muslim, they have their own code of eating kosher that supersedes the Quran, for example. 
other Muslims could eat camels. The Pashtun would not eat camel because they say the law of Moses. Mm. Um, you know, I'll just say something also. It's going to go like interesting and more interesting as we go. But if you saw who won the Nobel Peace Prize in the last few years, her name was from Pakistan, Malala Yosefzai. She won the Peace Prize. Mm. Um, if you look at her last name, Yosefzai, which is, you'll, you'll really like this, means children of Yosef. Zai in their language means children of, children of Yosef. My cousin. So, you know, she, exactly. She's on the front page of the, of the, of the Time Magazine, the Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize, and I'm like, is this insane that there's no, like, article in the Jewish Post, like, Lost Tribes of Israel wins the Peace Prize? Like, what's going on? Um, and, and her family clan, Yosef Zai, is one of the most prominent families of Afghanistan that self-identifies as being from the tribes of Israel. So if I ever had a one-on-one with her, I would just, you know, she would have to talk about it. She, it's like she couldn't not know about this. There's an elephant in the room. Um, so that, that was really interesting. And, and the great thing is, you know, I grew up living in Queens. And in Queens, you have a huge, and Brooklyn, you have a huge Pashtun community. So all of a sudden, I'm walking on the street in Queens by Kew Garden Hills, going to go to the Mikvah before Shabbat. And I see this guy wearing his Pashtun dress. I could identify them based on their outfits. So I walk over to the guy, you know, he's Muslim. I say, excuse me, are you from the Lost Tribes of Israel? And he says, yes, that's for sure I am. And I said, well, we're cousins. And he says, yes, we, we know. I said, well, the Jewish people, we don't really know what's going on. He says, yeah, we, we don't talk about it, but we know. And so the guy, we, he gave me a hug, a high five, and all that stuff. So it was really interesting. Um, that, and I do that all the time. And I live in Israel, but anytime I go to America, I get so excited because I get to see these Lost Tribes guys just kind of walking around the street. In, so, um, so just, 19- just, can I just like um, uh, interrupt for a second here? Halakhically speaking, they would have to convert if they wanted to be considered Jewish because it would be impossible to trace um, over 2,000 years of generations that through a mother, right? I'm saying like, we, we can say that they have this ancestry, but um, to, to be considered Jewish, they would have to do a formal conversion, correct? A thousand percent correct. They're not considered halachic Jews, but according to Hashkafa, which is the way we view reality from a Jewish perspective, there was a reason that the ten tribes basically went into the nations and became not Jewish. There was a purpose to that whole thing. Oh, we I, I, see I, I see that with uh, Rabbi Akiva. Can you say that one more time? There was a reason? Oh, there, there's a reason that they had to have gone into the nations and become not Jewish or not Israelite. There was a purpose from our perspective of understanding reality of why they had to go disappear and become in literally embedded into the nations of the world and lose their identity as being from the people of Israel or, or their halakhic standing as being from the people of Israel. Are there any like midrashim, any, any sources that can point to the fact that this is going to happen? Uh, yeah, definitely. Certainly. I mean, if you look at more recent writings, you can definitely see, you know, the writings of the Ramchal, which are based on the writings of the Arizal, which is basically Kabbalistic text. But we look at the source of this, um, where there's a, this is a whole other conversation we could have, you know, another half hour of why the tribes had to go to the exile. But I'll give you a quick example. We say that Rabbi Akiva, who was a great rabbi of Israel, he was a candidate to be the Messiah of Israel, Mashiach ben Yosef. He was a candidate to be the Redeemer of Israel. However, his father was a convert. His name was Yosef, Akiva ben Yosef. And we teach that the soul of the Mashiach was hiding amongst the non-Jews for 10 generations, and it came back into the people of Israel through Rabbi Akiva's father. So this was, you know, there's a theme here of the soul of, of Israel weaving in and out between Jews and non-Jews, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a whole other conversation based on the Ramchal and the Arizal 
why that has to happen. But we're at a point now in history where in a, in a half hour we can cover that and people can walk away feeling, you know, very clear on why that's the case. But that's, that will be a separate conversation for sure. Okay, fine. So Pashtun, so, and there's like, there's 50 million of them according to, um, to my Wikipedia search. So this is not a small... Yeah, there's 25 million in Afghanistan. There's about 15 million in Pakistan. And let's say another 5 to 10 million in India. They're a massive nation of people. Uh, all all self-identify as Bani Israel. So it's not like, I'm like, wait, I, you guys are Bani Israel. They're like, no, we call ourselves Bani Israel, the children of Israel. And we are living exact same location that the tribes have went into. And if you look on Pashtun history... Their nation dates to around 2,600, 2,400 years ago. Basically, mm. within 100 or so years of the tribes of Israel going to the Far East, this mysterious nation formed, practicing the laws of Moses, referring to themselves as the children of Israel. So mm. I'm saying there's no smoke without a fire. Mm. Wow. Okay, very cool. So Pashtun is... Uh, and did we know, do we have any thoughts about which, do we think this is Yosef? You, you named some god, you were saying they're different tribe names. Do we think that those are the actual tribes that they called their tribes? Do you think that those are the, the Shvatim? Right. So there's two things over here. One is that this is like the ground zero for the Israelite exile. This is where they were all exiled to. So okay. most likely, this was like the, the base camp of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually see now, there was, I'll tell you two things. There was a, the royal family of Afghanistan who was uh, sent out in a political coup in the 1970s, I believe. They are now in hiding. They went into hiding. Um, mm. They were in Europe, and now they're in California, the descendants of the royal family in San Francisco, the Bay Area. And now you have young, you know, 30-year-old or so millennials who are from this royal family who found out from their grandparents who they are, but they're like Americans. So they're like, whoa, what's going on? We're, we're the lost tribes of Israel. So they mm. started to make some social media accounts and reaching out to the Jews. Um, they, and we started getting net, networking and connecting, and they actually shared their family tree with us that the Pashtun are made up of the ten tribes. However, the royal family of the Pashtun, which has been ruling, um, they come from the tribe of Benjamin and were mm. chosen to rule over the children of Israel because they come from the line of King Saul, which was from Benjamin, who had the royalty. Um, this story and legend was confirmed by the Afghan Jews, the Halakhic Afghan Jews, who fled in the, when Israel became a state. There's a few Afghan communities left who they remember. We did business with the Pashtuns. The royal emperor, the king, was very kind to us. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. We knew that. It wasn't a secret. Um, so if you look on YouTube also, we had a Pashtun team come to Jamaica State's Queens to meet the Afghan Jews, talk about the history, bring it all up. So we know that the ten tribes of Israel were there. And there's a rulership that comes from the tribe of Benjamin over the people of Afghanistan. It all sounds too crazy to be true, but uh, there's so there's so much you know concrete uh, reality out there that supports all this that you mm. can't you, it's hard to look the other way. And also, just one other fascinating thing as we kind of transition from Afghanistan down the Silk Road, if you look at the story of Purim, which is right now, which is great, it says Achashverosh ruled from Hodu Ad Kush, from Africa to India, basically, um, and 127 provinces where they had the people of Israel scattered from Africa to India at that time. And then if you look towards the end of the Gilead Esther, it also says there was a mass conversion. These were the Yahadim. People became Jewish because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So you have the scenario from, from Ethiopia to India, 2,500 or so years ago, a mass line of Israelites spreading the whole entire span of that. Um, so... When it comes to the continuing the story of Afghanistan, and we're going to speak about other areas right now, 
we really can't tell you if this, if these people, some of them are the descendants of 10,000 or 100 Israelites, or they descendants of one Israelite. And I like to use the an, an example here. I call it the the Yosef and Esther theory of like, what's the common denominator between Joseph, uh, Yosef Atadik, and Esther, Queen Esther? What's the, the scene that com- connects them? They were both Israelites that ended up in far-flung regions of the world and somehow made it to like second in power. Mm-hmm. And if you imagine that jo- if Joseph's brothers never came down to Egypt to redeem them and, and, and reunite, he married Potiphar's daughter, an Egyptian uh, royalty, his children, Ephraim and Manasseh, would have stayed in Egypt, and they would have become a very influential and a very successful family. And 2,500 years later, they would have numbered millions and millions of people, descended of just Yosef, but all technically be from the tribes of Israel. Mm. Um, so what we're, what we're speculating is now from Afghanistan, the ground zero of the lost tribes of Israel, the Israelites scattered like a broken piece of glass, like... That could have been a group of 10, 30-year-olds who were like, we found some business in the Kashmir Mountains. Let's go set up an outpost there. They became, you know, we don't know all these stories. But all we know now is that people from these regions, which we're going to speak about, are coming out of the woodworks with the craziest stories and simanim signs that would only have been found in the, in the people of uh, Israel. And, uh, and since we don't have too much time, I'll give you the next big area. Um, so if you do travel the Silk Road from Afghanistan, you have hot areas like, Kyrgyzstan, Kashmir, you see even the Bene Benasha who are in Israel right now are on this trail, mm-hmm. Come, who are saying we are from the children of Israel. But where does this all culminate, which is so fascinating, which here we're speculating. We can't tell you if what I'm going to speak about now are the actual blood descendants of the people of Israel or mm-hmm. all the, the students of the, or descendants of one Israelite. But if you look at Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Japan is the oldest monarchy in the world today. The oldest line of kings that exists today is in Japan. It's a, it's a line of kings that goes back 2,600 years ago, also within 100 years of the tribes of Israel going to the Far East. Now, the Japanese, the Shinto cult, or the Shinto religion, numbering 70 million people, they claim that they were a chosen people, exiled from their homeland, and reestablished their kingdom in Japan. Now, if you're a tourist and you go to Japan today, Hayom, not even like last, last year, you go today, they have a holy temple in Japan on a mountain called Mount Moriah. Armoria is what? the name of the... Yeah, yeah well, it, it gets crazy. By the way, you should take notes and go to Wikipedia after and go to research sites and, and look at this yourself. This is all clear as day. They have a holy temple in Japan today on Mount Moriah where they have three chambers. An inner chamber where... Uh, well, an outer chamber where they have people who come and pray. They have an inner chamber where priests are doing animal sacrifices on deer. And what? then they have this inner chamber. Yeah, yeah this is for sure happening today. So it gets crazier. Hear me out. And I'll tell you what to type in specifically so you can teach some keywords. They have, there's an inner chamber. In Japan today, the Shinto religion, their main idol uh, item of worship is this big golden ark on four poles. It's got these golden birds on it. And in it, they keep three things in their ark which we know we kept three things in the Ark of the people of Israel, um, you know, a thousand years ago, Moses. So, and all the priests of Japan are wearing these, like, little black circular phylactery boxes on their foreheads. So if I typed into Google the words Yamabushi, um, Y-A-M-A-B-U-S-H-I, I will see pictures of Japanese priests wearing what looks like filling on their forehead. Um, if I type in the word Mikoshi, I will see these guys holding these golden arcs on four poles, with these golden birds on it, dancing around celebrating it. Uh, mm-hmm. So right now, from Japan, we don't like this. This is more, most likely, 
one, this is most likely one human who ended up there and started, became like second in power because he was just this really good Israelite businessman or whatever, and influenced the whole entire nation of people to adopt, you know, spiritual principles of the laws of Moses. Um, so this is a very realistic scenario. Wow. This is wild That doesn't make them Jews, and it doesn't make them... Yeah, (laughs) it it is nuts. And and what I'm saying is is really, you know, been researched, documented. There's professors in Hebrew University now who are lecturing on this. The government of Israel has just written a full report, which is public to the world, on this phenomenon right now, which they agree (laughs) that there's something going on. And so, you know, we're going to continue on the story, but right now we're, we're dealing with massive nations of people where we see their founding clearly had some Israelite crossover. And now today, the millennials are spiritually searching to their roots and looking at the Jewish people and the people of Israel saying, hey, you know, Jacob gave Judah this blessing. When he gave all the tribes the blessing, he gave Judah the blessing that he's going to hold on to the scepter of the law until the end time, basically. So now they're saying, look at you, you're Judah, you have the Torah preserved. We want to return back to what we once were. And now they're reaching out to the Jewish people and uh, beyond numbers we wouldn't even be able to imagine, which will be shocking to us. And this is just the start of the whole thing. Wow. Okay, so we've got um, Afghanistan, 50 million long-lost relatives in the Pashtuns. We've got the successful businessman who went to Japan, and now everybody's wearing quasi-tefillin and doing sacrifices on Har Moriah. And now we've got to go to Africa. Exactly, yeah. And and by the way, this is like, you could speak for eight hours about this, but we're given the high-level bullet points here. Yeah. Um, now, if you look at Afri- Africa, there's different, multiple, multiple different waves where we see Judeans or Israelites going into Africa. Two examples would just be quickly, after the time of the death of Gedalia, it said a lot of the Judeans fled into Egypt and they never came back to Israel. Um, there was another time where you even see Josephus writes. He said, when the Romans and the Greeks took over, millions of Judeans fled into Africa. He used the word millions, fled into Africa to avoid slavery. So we see multiple, multiple, multiple waves. We know the Ethiopians are the oldest exile community, where they were still in Ethiopia by the time of the first temple. We, so Africa has a very rich history of Jews just kind of walking right south of the border, right into there. I mean, Africa and Israel, I believe, are on the same continental rift, uh, the continental plate, so they're connected. But let's discuss specifically in Africa a few different tribes, and I'll start with one of the smallest ones, but very interesting. So when Israel became a state in the 1940s, they got a letter from the Lemba tribe of South Africa by Zimbabwe, and the Lem- by Harari, and the Lemba said, hey, we're from the people of Israel, we want to we want to come back to the land, uh, the right of return. And basically everyone kind of laughed at them and said, you know, what? Well, this is a third world country trying to jump on the first world country bandwagon. It sounds nice, but, you know, no thanks. And then, you know, people started doing some research, anthropologists, and they realized, they said, wait a minute, this community has a lot of customs only found amongst the people of Israel and especially from Yemenite Jewry. So mm-hmm. there could be something there. And then they did DNA testing on them. This was a professor from Duke University. I believe his name is David Goldberg. Um, he did DNA testing on them, and he showed 10% of the Lemba tribe, which are a tribe today, have the Y chromosome to be Kohanim, to be priests. So there's wow. a priest genetic gene that are found, yeah, it's found among Ashkenazim, Sephardim, the same genetic Y chromosome marker is now found in 10% of, the, of this Lemba tribe in Africa that we once laughed at saying, how do you think you're the people of Israel? In the mm-hmm. deepest, farthest uh, south tip of Africa. 
So this, this, this community is now converting. They have representatives in yeshivas in Israel, and they're growing very strong. And there's synagogues in, in this Lema tribe. So if I go there, I could eat actually kosher food. There's a Torah. There's a whole thing happening down there. But, you know, the Lemba tribe, let's say, numbers maybe close to 100,000 people, nothing too crazy. Uh, when we really look at Africa, we always think, which is the oldest story. We all know about that. But the elephant in the room in this case is the Igbo tribe of Nigeria, or otherwise known as the Biafrans, who they number 40 million people. Uh, the Biafrans today would mostly be made up of Messianic Christians. We can explain how a lot of the people of Israel became Christians. It's a, it's a wonderful theory, um, but there's a lot of Messianic Christians. But all of them, I still identify saying we're from the people of Israel. There's, let's say, about you know, 8,000 or so now who have left Christianity and are now practicing like, almost Orthodox Judaism in Nigeria and the Biafran tribes. Mm. Um, the leader of well, Biafra really was its own independent region at one point. The British came in and created this entity called Nigeria, and they, they messed with the borders, and they put foreign ruling tribes over the Igbo. In the 1960s, they tried to become an independent state again called Biafra. There was a genocide, the Biafran War, where millions of Igbo were killed, and Israel was actually the nation that saved them and mm. broke the blockade. Uh, so there's a leader today, Nami Kanu, his name is, and he's trying to bring the Igbo back to freedom. He's you know, got the support of almost 40 million people. He's showing up to court in Nigeria for treason against the government, wearing a big talit on his head. All of his advisors are wearing talit, the uh, prayer shawls wrapped around them, the flags of Israel with them. Um, they're, they're saying we are an extension of Israel here in Nigeria. So Harry, the leader okay, has this, disappeared. This is crazy. This is crazy. Yeah. So, okay, now we are running out of time again. And so we're going to do something in the history of the show. We've never had someone on for a third time. But I think we need to have you on for a third time because the Igbo tribe actually gets us back to Amare and his heritage, correct? Exactly. The Igbo tribe made up, because uh, America kept great records, about 15 or so percent of the transatlantic slave trade came specifically from this one tribe, uh, which leads us to the Amari Stoudemires, the rappers like Kendrick Lamar, this new phenomenon that's going to shake the foundations of America when there's this tremendous biblical return to authentic Torah life. Okay, so uh, we, we're like out of time now. So what, if you can come on one more time, I want to talk about um, this, the, you know, the, for the slaves that came from this tribe, a high percentage, what that means for America. And then I want to try to wrap this all up into sources, into some sort of like hushkafic or philosophical understanding, like what is going on here? Can, can we get you on one more time? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're, we're going to lay out what's going on in America, and we're also going to lay out what the potential solution is of how to cohesively make sense of all this and how to move forward in a non-metaphysical, non-messianic, you know, way, just practical. What do we do next step? Love it. Okay. This is so fascinating. Um, and really, I don't know why no one else knows about this. I mean, I guess some people do, but it seems like more people should know about this. So I hope we can help um, get all this information on Wikipedia and Google out to more eyeballs. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. We will do this again on our next show. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. And you can catch me and Rabbi Harry, um, same time, same place next week. Thanks so much. Okay, amazing. Awesome. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rabbi.